Welcome to the Business of Luxury podcast, where we feature exclusive conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, and influencers on the leading edge of luxury. On today's episode, Human connects with Tom Blumenthal, president and CEO of Geary's Beverly Hills. Under his leadership, Geary's has expanded its range of fine jewelry and home entertaining goods to include three Rolex boutiques and the very first freestanding Patek Philippe boutique in the United States. In this episode, you'll hear Tom share how Geary's has changed since its inception in 1930, Geary's approach to providing exceptional customer service, and what's next for this Beverly Hills icon. All right, let's join Human for his conversation with Tom Blumenthal. Thank you so much for being on our show today, Tom, and welcome. Welcome to the show today. Thank you, Human. I, I, it's a privilege for me to be here with you. And, you know, your family and, and our family has a long, uh, long history in Beverly Hills. So it's a pleasure to, to be uh, speaking with you today. Thank you. I was very excited to have this great conversation with you, especially Geary's, you know, being an iconic name and a brand that everyone recognizes with. Uh, you know, has been in Beverly Hills, has been an institution for over 90 years. And I wanted to ask you, how has the business changed since its inception and opening in 1930? That's a great question. And I always like to say that Geary's kind of grew up with Beverly Hills because in 1930, it wasn't the epicenter of luxury, Beverly Hills, and nor was Geary's. I mean, we were a kind of a typical downtown merchant. You know, we sold a lot of different things uh, from cosmetics to jewelry to housewares. Um, and in the in the 30s, you know, the building didn't have air conditioning. So the whole second floor was almost like a warehouse because customers would never go up there, especially in the heat of the summer. So until air conditioning was put in, uh, the, it was really just the first floor. Um, so we grew up in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And as as the time passed, so did Beverly Hills. It became more of a, a luxury epicenter as people from Hollywood started moving west. Um, and Geary's changed with the times. And especially since there wasn't too many type of, uh, you know, retailers such as yours, it was a great opportunity to really stand out and, and be that luxury brand. Well, uh, that that happened as you know as we grew. In the my grandparents bought the store in the fifties, um, and as as I said, it was pretty pretty simple back then. And then as the sixties, seventies, and eighties, when my uncle Bruce joined the company in the late sixties, early seventies, that's when Beverly Hills was really emerging too, and we emerged along with it, adding um, taking the focus more. Uh, more onto home, you know, home goods, specifically china and glass and silver, and people were entertaining a lot at home, and um, we we took the kind of the moderate to higher moderate approach uh, in the sixties and seventies, and then as the eighties, you know, started to change even more, we took it um, step up at that point. Next level. And is this how you personally got involved in the luxury retail world? Sure. I started working here at 13. Um, So I've been here, uh, you know, 45 years uh, on and off, of course, through high school and college. And then I had a brief uh, five-year stint working and going through the executive training program at Bullock's, which is now uh, part of uh, Macy's. It wasn't then. Um, And 
and then got some other outside experience later on when um, you may be aware that Geary's was sold uh, in the late 90s to Ross Simons, and I worked for them, ran the ran the Geary's business for them. And then actually 20 years ago today, today is my 20th anniversary, um, I reclaimed Geary's for, uh, I bought Geary's back in 2003. Wow. Talk about making a full circle. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that has a lot of sentimental value, especially because your family, your grandparents, you know, bought it and made it what it is today with the progress of time and every generation has added to it. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, um, I, I, you know, I like to say that, you know, my grandparent, when my grandparents bought it, it was in the fifties and the times were very different then Then my uncle Bruce really uh, came to the helm in the seventies and eighties into the mid nineties where, you know, luxury was growing rapidly. And then when I took over in 2003, the last 20 years have just been extraordinary. I mean, I mean, we've, we've really uh, taken it up 10 notches and it's been extremely successful um, with, you know, growing up with Beverly, along with Beverly Hills. Absolutely. It's like one and the same now. It really is. You know, uh, Geary's carries uh, such a wide range of high-end brands from fine jewelry to home goods. How do you curate the product selection and, and what factors do you consider when deciding which brands to, to carry? So, yeah. So especially on the home side, we have really kind of curated it really more focused on the luxury side. Um, you know, we do uh, a lot of business with brands like Baccarat and Hermes, Christophe, Bernadot, Lalique, William Yeward. Those brands are all very focused on high end. Um, that's not to say that we don't still carry some more moderate things. We do, but um, we have really focused more on the luxury end of it um, because that's what our clients are asking for. That's right. That's exactly correct. Um, and what what would you say or what do you think sets Geary's apart from other luxury retailers? So, you know, being a family-owned business and, and you know, I come to work every day. I mean, I'm in here six days a week. I work with our staff daily. I It's a lifestyle job for me. So, you know, I'm here. I, you know, we don't have to call New York or Europe to make a decision. You know, decisions are made right here. Mm -hmm. And I interact with our staff. I interact with our vendors. I interact with our clients. And it's, um, you know, it's a privilege to be able to run a family business in this environment that um, really caters to the customer. At the end of the day, you know, you're not, you're, you're, you're not uh, a number. All of our clients are treated um, equally and with a great amount of respect. And we, we really cherish every single one of them and we treat it very personally. You know, and being that uh, customer service is one of, if not the key component for any successful business, Geary's has a reputation that's exceptional. Can you, can you talk about some of the ways sure. that so, you prioritize customer satisfaction? Well, we, and, you know, I'll be honest, once in a while, we make a mistake and we've screwed up. But I look at that as when that happens and it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, 
I look at it as a really great opportunity to prove that we care and that we fix it. I'll give you a perfect example. We had a very good client who um, ordered some things and the, sh- the the shipping label got mixed up in the stockroom and their order went to New York and the New York order went to them. And it was a cluster, as you know, as you can imagine. <laughs> it was a huge mistake. We missed an occasion. It was, if anything could have gone wrong with the situation, it did. But it came to my desk and I said, okay, we need to get into uh, immediate fixing mode. How do we fix this so that everybody is happy? And we flew out replacements. We we did everything we possibly could in our power to fix it. And both sides understood the problem and were just so grateful that we cared enough to fix it. I think what happens, you know, in this, you know, internet society that we're all living in and so much is ordered online and um, and we have a a very large online business too, but we contact every customer. And if there's an issue, we fix it. We don't just let it go into the cyberspace. And, you know, I can tell you myself when I've ordered things online and have had problems, sometimes I just give up because that's just too much of a hassle to try and figure it out. So uh, that's the difference is we will fix our mistakes uh, as few as they are. But we care about every single order, every single transaction, every single customer to make sure it's right. And, you know, it's like you said, it's good that things like that do happen that allow the customer to feel how far a business will go. Right. Show to genuinely show how much they sincerely care and how it's not just a business relationship. It's more than that. It's the fact that you want to make sure that they're happy they're satisfied, and they're taken care of. And that's Absolutely. the exchange of dollars and cents. For sure. Listen, when you make a mistake, it, it costs money to fix it. But I look at it as almost a marketing expense because you can turn a bad situation around and then people start talking about what you did to fix a situation. That's better marketing than spending money on the internet and search engine and all the other things we spend a lot of money on marketing for. So I look at it as an, as an opportunity. Absolutely. And you know what else it is? That's why you're so successful, Tom. And Gary's has such a great name is that you have to look at things in a macro level, long right. run. Right. So many businesses look things in a micro level, you know, and they're so concerned about where to save and where not to spend. And they lose track of what the real big picture is. And that goes such a long way. And, and clearly you guys have done that. Yes, very much so. We, we, you know, we don't micromanage our P&L. Mm. We're not run by accountants. That's right. We're and you being, there, you being there is such an example. You know, when ownership is behind something, it goes a very, very long way. It, it makes a difference in everything in the service world. Absolutely. Tom, as you know, you know, that pandemic has had a major impact on retail businesses on all fronts. How would you say Geary's adapted to the changing landscape? So when the, you know, three years ago now, uh, when we had to shut down for what was going to be two weeks and then two, you know, another two weeks, and it ended up being three months, uh, I took the approach of my middle name is adjust. 
And we couldn't, you know, we didn't, we kept all our all of our employees on payroll. They were all paid throughout the time we were closed. There, uh, we, you know, basically shut down for three months. And I had a spreadsheet this big with my finance manager on how, like, how much longer can we do this and how much longer can we keep all of our um, employees paid, all our vendors paid, all our landlords paid. You know, luckily, we had a cushion that allowed us to do that. But um, it was a, it was a terrible time. And then we reopened. And then, of course, ten day, uh, three days after we opened, we had to close down again because of civil unrest and board up all our stores for another 10 days. But at the end of the day, it, it just it made me realize that we just became stronger as a company because of having to go through this, all of it. And now I look at these and I look as I look back at it, like, gosh, there is nothing I can't figure out because we had to figure all of that out at the drop of a hat and how and how we were going to be able to do it res- responsibly to our employees, vendors and customers, as well as the community. Um and how we could keep our doors open at the end because we knew at the end of the day and it started slow but then it built pretty quickly after we reopened that the desire was there and um you know customers came back slowly but surely and i'm sure that was also a, a great test for you to see internally how your team would respond and how they would think and how they would execute and what the whole process was. I think it it may have given you a lot of clarity. Oh my gosh, when I think about back now on when we first opened after the pandemic and you know, we we had all these plastic shields everywhere. Everybody was wearing masks and shields and we didn't give customers a we had to give a new pen to every customer to sign and then they couldn't use it again. We had to you take it home because we can't touch this pen that you've used and oh my gosh, when you think about it now, you think, "Oh, how do we deal with that? And I remember we did this video right after we uh, reopened on how safe and all the precautions we were going through and all the hoops we were jumping through to to reopen. And as I look back on that video now, I just kind of laugh because you know we're we're through it now. And even though COVID is here to stay, we are we we don't have to jump through the hoops that we did before. But listen, we learned, we we learned what to do, what not to do. And, you know, hopefully, God willing, we won't have to deal with something like this again. Exactly. You know, when the pandemic comes to my mind, I always think of the, the word test, because everyone on every level, whether it's family, friendship, work, right. colleagues, whatever you can think of was tested. And yeah. everyone let put it to the challenge and it became like a filtration system of sorts. Well, that's why I use the word adjust because we were constantly changing our plan daily. Like, oh, today we can do it this way. No, today we have to do it that way. You know, um, we were taking temperatures and, and oh my gosh, what a, what a nightmare. But that's why I said that my middle name is now adjust because that's exactly what we were doing on a daily basis was adjusting. Yes. Yes. You know, Tom, I know that a lot of people who personally know you and even who don't know you really, you know, look up to you in in a lot of ways. And I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give the aspiring entrepreneurs who are looking to build a successful luxury retail business? What would be the best thing for them? Well, you have to have a lot of patience and um, 
uh, a lot of support because I have tremendous support from my team, my family, you know, um, it, uh, you can't cut corners. That's Mm -hmm. the one thing you just don't even think about cutting corners because it never works, especially if you're in the luxury sector, whether it's how you treat a client or how you treat your employees, you, you know, you just have to be you know, steadfast in um, a level of expectation, your own expectations and their expectations, and um, you know, don't waver. You know, stick to your stick to your mission. I mean, we have a very pretty well defined mission statement that we've that we've um, used over the years, and um, it served us well. Yeah, and it's so important because then people will understand the DNA of the business and uh, the whole infrastructure of how things are run and what it should be about. And I always look to the luxury hotel industry, frankly, because they, the ones, the five-star hotels, they understand it perfectly about how you treat not only your customers, but your employees. They have to be trained to a level of uh, expectation that the customer is going to expect. So, you know, everybody, when they're newly hired, whether they're working in the stockroom, whether they're cleaning the store, whether they're selling or whatever level of, of job they're doing, they're trained in how to do their job in a luxury environment. You know, whether, um, you know, how they dress, how they, how they speak to uh, their coworkers, how do they speak to a customer? Um, the expectations are high, but the, and the training is there too. We spend a lot of time in training our staff, and I always look to the hospitality industry as a as a really good guide on how to to do it the right way. You know, it's so true. It goes back to the old saying that become the change or be that which you want to become. Right. Right. And you can only do that through true interaction with other human beings. You can't give a manual and say, this is what you have to do analytically. You, they have to oh. feel it. They have to sense it. They have to be able to embrace it. And in doing so, it becomes part of who they are now. So when they treat the customers, it's not a, a practice anymore. It's part of who they are because they're being treated that way themselves. Right. Exactly. And I want them to, We as much as we can, we try and get our staff to experience luxury in other in other sectors. Like go go and have, you know, a, a dinner at a five-star hotel or a five-star restaurant. Um, if you can stay, stay at those hotels because that's how you need to be treated and that's how we need to treat our clients. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, when someone has a successful business or operation or venture, uh, people are always wondering, you know, what is the next big thing that's going to happen, right? What's like, what's the coming attraction of the next big project? Is there something that you can share? Uh, like, can you share any exciting new developments or projects? That sure, we've got a very big, very big project. Um, sorry, let me just, um, a very big project starting on Rodeo Drive. In fact, we um, uh, take possession of the space on July 1st, and we are building the flagship Rolex and Patek Philippe boutiques on Rodeo Drive, um, which will be open in the fall of next year. 
uh, but we start construction in July of this year. And we've been, this is a project we've been working on for five years. So I'm very excited. Um, I'll be really excited once we start demo and our, our barricade goes up and, uh, but we have officially announced that it's happening and, uh, we will be opening in the fall of 24 at 312 North Rodeo Drive for Rolex and 314 North Rodeo Drive for Patek Philippe. How exciting, not only for the watch lovers of the world, but I would tell you for all the retailers in that market, in the luxury world that would love to be a neighboring tenant to something like that. And, and that is very exciting. Well, Rodeo Drive is going through a huge renaissance. I mean, not that it even needed to, but it just is because of all the brands that have spent money and, and have been doubling down on Rodeo Drive. Um, you know, Chanel is opening on Friday and Christian Dior is starting construction soon and will be starting construction soon. So there's just a huge renaissance on Rodeo Drive, of course, with also the Cheval Blanc project, which we hope will be finalized next month. Exactly, exactly. It's unprecedented what is happening to to Rodeo Drive, uh, which in it, you know in general is going to affect the triangle as a whole, which it already has. Hundred percent. You know, it's always been a sleeping giant. I'd always mentioned that in the past years that we truly don't recognize whether it's our own potential or an area or city that we're in until we really understand the greatness of it. And Beverly Hills has become everything that it was supposed to be and more. And, you know, we, again, have to look back to our forefathers, the, you know, the Fred Heymans and the Don Tronsteins of the world, your family as well, that really took Rodeo Drive and elevated it to a, to a level that it is today. But that, again, has not been an overnight sensation. It's been slowly going up over the years to the level now that, I mean, there are very few streets in the world that come close to Rodeo Drive. I can count them on half a hand. That's that right. Are, are are comparable to Rodeo Drive. And when Rolex and Patek Philippe looked uh, to uh, expand our presence on Rodeo Drive, they realized how important this market in the United States is for them. And there's only going to be two flagship stores uh, for, for Rolex in the United States, this one and one in New York. Wow, what an what a great confirmation from such an incredible brand or brands, I should say. Really. Right. With that said, Tom, what changes do you see in the future of luxury retail with everything that's happening? Right, with with all the activity. What, you know, yeah. Uh, well, status quo just doesn't exist. I mean, you just can't. You cannot rest on your laurels. So for us. We are looking to elevate the experience for our clients. You know, we're selling, uh, you know, products that are very expensive. And um, so when we when they come into our stores, they need to be the experience needs to be elevated. We're partnering with a, a, a consulting firm to help us even elevate it to the next level and beyond, because as good as we think we're doing it right now, mm -hmm. There's a better way to do it, and an even more, uh, a special, more uh, spectacular way to have the client feel they're special when they're making a purchase at this level. Absolutely, Tom. I cannot thank you enough for being on our podcast sure. today, really, and sharing such a great history about Geary's and the the progress and the process and where everything's headed. 
and uh, the amazing job that you have done at, you, and where you've taken it because it really requires that special unique touch and clearly you have that Thank and you. we wish you continued success in every level and in, in every way um, and thank you again so much for, for being part of the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed Human's conversation today, and we invite you to share this episode with someone who might enjoy it as well. Take a screenshot on your phone, text it to them, and tell them to check out businessofluxurypodcast.com. Also, we encourage you to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening to The Business of Luxury.